Thanks for tuning in to this episode of ClearCast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with ClearanceJobs.com. And today I'm joined by the infamous Steve Leonard, aka Doctrine Man, who is a Clearance Jobs contributor among many other things. So thank you so much for joining me today, Steve. Thanks for having me, Katie. Absolutely. So today we're going to discuss the dark side of leadership, which Steve has written about on our news site quite a bit. And I will be honest, I did try out my Darth Vader impression as saying the title. <laughs> all of this discussion, and it really does need a little bit of work. So I'm sorry that I'm not going to serenade our audience with that today. (laughs) Steve, you spent quite a bit of time serving in the Army and in leadership positions as well. So I'm excited to hear your insight on toxic leaders. First, I thought we could start, what, in your opinion, is the epitome of a toxic leader? That's one of the reasons why I write about this as much as I do. It's We have a very stereotypical view of what a toxic leader is, when we focus in on that stereotype and we narrow our aperture so much, then we neglect that it's a much wider spectrum of behaviors, of actions, different patterns of behavior that you need to account for that also fall under the dark side of leadership. When I started to talk, speak, and write about this and even teach it, I came at it from a perspective where I mentioned where it's a very stereotypical approach to this, which you look at the stereotypical toxic leader, it's somebody who is narcissistic, abusive, to the point of destroying the fabric of an organization. But there's a lot more to it than that. There's, uh, you know, if you focus on the, on the actual, the entire dark side spectrum, which I do now, it takes into account that you have very well-intentioned leaders that are just so bad at what they do that they derail organizations. They can achieve the same ends in terms of tearing apart the fabric of an organization without necessarily being narcissistic, sociopathic, just flat-out evil. They're just incompetent. And so it helps to understand that spectrum and to really, like I would say, peel the onion back and really explore those things. That is a great point. The dark side of leadership, it is a spectrum and toxic leaders, they do come in all different types of sizes. One person's toxic leader might not be another toxic leader. I've worked for people who were screamers. That's how they communicated. That's not necessarily a good form of communication. It's not particularly effective, but they could scream without being truly destructive. You had to understand that on the other side of that, that they might scream at you, shoot the messenger, but they weren't necessarily not going to listen. They weren't narcissistic. They weren't totally destructive. And and it's understanding that, that one person's toxic leader might not be another person's toxic leader. And so it helps to have a, a much broader discussion on the topic. So within this dark side of leadership sort of spectrum, Would you say that in your experience in the Army and in the civilian world, do you think that toxic leaders showcase different traits within those two different worlds? No, I don't. I I think by and large, you see the same basic behaviors across both the civilian and the military world. I don't care what profession you're in. Toxic leadership tends to be fairly consistent in terms of the personalities, the behaviors, and and the outcomes that they drive. We've all worked in different industries, thinking that they look the same across industries. Some companies don't necessarily do something about it. So why do you think some organizations put up with toxic leadership in their midst? Well, the easy answer is that some toxic leaders are really effective at getting results. And in an organization, sometimes they'll value short-term results over long-term destruction. 
for example, in the military, you, you might see a company commander who's a horrible human being and terrible for the organization, but he can achieve or she can achieve really great results, outcomes in the short term. But because people rotate through so regularly and turnover is generally so high that it's not your problem. The next person can come along and fix that. I know that I can put a toxic leader in an organization, get the results that I want, and then I can move on. And then the next person has to come along and deal with the mess that's left over. There's a lot of that that goes on. When you move over into the civilian world, I think some of that takes place, but to a lesser degree, because in the civilian world, turnover is not as much of an issue depending on what industry you're in. I think there's more of a power component in the civilian world is that you get somebody who's toxic, but they're in a position of power. And so they can be untouchable until which point they reach where the level of their toxicity can no longer be ignored because it's caused so much turmoil and angst in an organization that you have to deal with it. So there are nuances to this. And again, it's it's great to have a conversation about it because I've seen it in both sides. I've seen toxic individuals on the civilian side and on the military side. And it's just, I don't want to say it's interesting because it's not. It's a tragedy that we have to deal with these people. But it's interesting to observe and record how they interact, what their impact is on an organization and really to see how long it'll take before somebody steps up and says enough is enough. In your observations of the dark side of leadership, you are a man of words. Have you dubbed names for these types of toxic leaders along the dark side spectrum? Nothing that I could repeat on (laughs) air. But in my own mind, because I've seen the people, they all have names. And I could actually, I mean, the name names, Katie Keller wouldn't be on the spectrum. (laughs) <laughs> but there are people who have their names, and I see them when I when I talk about, say, for example, managerial derailment, where someone's incompetence as a leader or their indecisiveness literally drives an organization into failure. I can say, oh, I know who that is, and that person falls there, and this person falls there. And so I have a, a strong mental model of where different people fall on the, on the – actually, I have three axes that I look at – but on the spectrums that cover dark and toxic leadership that you know, that helps me say, okay, well, this is where, you know, so-and-so falls on the spectrum. And so this is kind of the kind of behaviors you can see from this person. I should probably come up with names for those besides human names because sure. uh, it makes it more easy to discuss when you don't say, well, you know, let's talk about the Steve Leonard and he's right here. He's horrible. And I've watched him tear down organizations. You don't really want to do that if you don't have to. I should have names for this. Yeah, no, that's a great article in progress, I'm thinking, for you. (laughs) (laughs) We all can identify, or maybe not so easy, but I feel like me personally, I can identify a toxic leader. I think a lot of folks in the workforce where they have the most trouble is confronting the issue and what they can actually do about it. So would you have any insight into what workers can do about toxic leaders. That's something I have written about. Uh, and it is, it's, it's really difficult to deal with, mostly because depending on who you're dealing with, if you're dealing with somebody who is absolutely sociopathic in nature, yeah, good luck. You know, all you can do is bide your time and, and get out and get away from them as soon as you can. You're not going to change them. You're not going to convince them to go see a therapist and change why they, they are the way they are. 
the best thing you can do is protect everybody who works for you and just bear it. And I hate to say that because people say, well, that's not fair. You shouldn't have to deal with it. No, you shouldn't. But there's only so much you can do. You can report it. You can pursue it. You can do all kinds of things in that respect. But there's a good chance that nothing's going to happen as a result of anything that you do. But when you deal with the other things, the managerial incompetence, managerial derailment, which are also part of that dark, dark leadership spectrum, those you can do things with, assuming that you have someone on the other end of the equation who's willing to listen and, and you can deal with them. And personally, uh, that's where early on when I dealt with people that had those issues where I absolutely failed. I lacked patience despite having three kids and dealing with them growing up. I never translated the patience I learned as a dad to the patience I needed to deal with those kinds of people. And that impatience caused just, just kind of exacerbated issues because there's nothing worse than somebody who is narcissistic and lacks self-awareness and is just fundamentally not sure of themselves, that they're not going to deal well with you stepping up and saying, hey, I'll make your decisions for you. You just need to stay right there. I'll take care of things. I'll run things. You just come to work. That doesn't work out real well with most people. And that's often how I would approach things. Just, well, hell, I'll just do what I want to do. And you, know, you just deal with it and get over it. Instead of taking the time to say, hey, when you have somebody who has, for example, can't make decisions, instead of making their decisions for them, having the patience to help them build the confidence necessary to make their own decisions. I mean, that is a form of dark leadership, that indecisiveness. It, it, it ties to risk aversion, but that's a, that's, a, that's a part of the equation that requires patience. But honestly, if you're dealing with somebody who's truly sociopathic in nature, yeah, good luck with that. It's tough. It is, those are long, frustrating days, and they're not a lot of fun. I mean, I've worked for people. Now, this is the fun part. This is where you mentioned, what can you do? And I've worked for people that were in, incredibly toxic that literally the inspector general spent more time in their office than anywhere else. And still they got by. Why is that? You know, oh, well, he gets results. So, you know, we're going to put up with it. Really? <laughs> why would you put up with that? I, I wish I had an easy answer for that one. That's the hardest part. And that's why I think we talk about it so much is, is you come back to what can I do about it? And there are some things you can do about it. In most cases, you know, unless you have something concrete to report, nothing's going to happen. So the guy yells at you. So the guy doesn't do things the way you want to. So she's got policies that are exploitive. You know, you have to have something concrete to pursue a complaint. And even then, you know, you're rolling the dice in a lot of cases. And I know that most people worry about things like retaliation because it's never a secret when you file a complaint, no matter what you think, right? That is something that I've written at length about that I talk about all the time. It, it, there's, there are no easy answers. It's almost situational where you have to look at each individual situation. And I get that. I get, I get inbox messages all the time from people. And I've talked to people at conferences. Hey, I'm dealing with this problem. Well, it's unique in this respect. So it requires a unique solution. There are no boilerplate answers to dealing with toxic leaders, at least none that I've come across. I think that's that's a harsh truth that anyone entering any workforce encounters that no one is going to have a, a good answer for you in your situation unless they sit down with you and analyze the entire thing. But the other thing, you know, I've experienced this working in the defense contracting world. There is a lot of the time nothing you can really do about it until your next opportunity arises, unfortunately. Yeah. What I'll tell people is a lot of the times you're waiting for them to do something that you can document and report. 
catch them in a lie, you catch them stealing something, doing something that is so egregious that action is easily taken. And we have examples of people that were considered toxic that, hey, they finally misused their government credit card and bam, you got them. It's the Al Capone thing. I mean, what do you get Al Capone mm-hmm. for in the end? Tax evasion. Tax evasion, you yeah. Know, who the hell thought you'd get him for tax evasion, but that was all you could get the guy for. And toxic leaders in a lot of cases are the same way. They don't do something tangible that you can say, okay, now I've got this. Now I can deal with you. And even on the other side of things, I mean, if you're the, if you have a toxic individual working for you, you see it and how's it presented to you and you know, you're in the same boat. Well, you know, none of your people like you. They all leave at the first opportunity. I can write that in, in an evaluation, but I, unless I have something concrete to tie it to, it's hard to get rid of you. And I've been down that road before where I've had people work for me who are absolutely toxic and yet managed to hide it for a certain period of time. And you see the symptoms, but you can't see something concrete to say, now I've got you, now you're done. Well, I I just thought of a point. Do you think just because I do go by the philosophy of mind over matter, do you think at some point worrying about these things and trying to catch somebody and gather that concrete evidence that you can document, at some point it's just kind of let it go? Thinking about all this negative energy and you could just let it go? What are your thoughts on that? That's a tough one because... And we probably both had jobs where you were dealing with somebody who was like that, and you're trying to get your day-to-day job done in a climate that's not conducive to doing your job, and every day is a struggle to get up and go to work, and it's not necessarily one thing. It might just be an attitude. It might just be the way they talk to you. They just don't do one thing that you could say, ha, now I got this. It's just that general negative climate. If you don't do if you don't do a climate survey, nobody knows. And even if you do one, not everybody's going to agree with you. Maybe it's just on you. And those days where it's just a slog to go to work, and they'll suck. And, and I know you know what I'm talking about because mm-hmm. those are the days where you just say, "Yeah, I'm not having fun anymore. I got to get another job." And I don't care whether I was in the military or on the civilian side. I've had those days. They had those days where you say, yeah, it's just not worth it anymore. This is not what I want. Those are tough. And I think those are probably the days more than any other where you need somebody to talk to to say, hey, let's let's put this in perspective and let's talk about what you can do, what actions you can take, and how you can deal with somebody who might be passive, aggressively nasty to you all the time. Have you ever worked for a boss who just didn't like you? That's no fun. And and they don't have to be tough. I just don't like you. (laughs) <laughs> I, my very first company commander, uh, uh, the first day he saw me, it was clear. He didn't like me. And I was like, how the hell do you get past that? He didn't do anything to me. He just didn't want to see me, didn't want to talk to me. He made it clear to stay away from him. <laughs> what do you do? It, was he toxic? Yeah, in his own way, he was. But it's just like, I don't like this. I don't like coming to work. I don't like seeing him. I don't want to be around him. You know, what do you do? And you could transpose that to the... Hey, if he'd have screamed at me once in a while and liked me, I probably would have been okay. But he never screamed, just dirty looks, sneers, you know, see me come and go the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I went off on a tangent there. Sorry. No, no, that's completely fine. I, I think it's easy for me to say, let it go because I have, I have worked in those situations before. 
and they are extremely difficult to deal with. It really hurts your morale. It's easy for me to say let it go right now because I'm working for someone like Lindy Kaiser, who's amazing. (laughs) Yes, she is. She's good people. You're right. I think just having someone to talk to on those days is really important. But I I would love another story time. Tell me about another toxic leader that you've had to deal with. Oh, you know, probably the one that often comes to mind is someone that I worked with. We were peers, thankfully. Actually, yeah. So it, it was someone who... I think what he said to me one time was the only way you could communicate with people was to scream at them. So he was, he would scream at people constantly, berate them publicly. I've just, I had never seen anybody mistreat people to the same degree. And yet nothing was ever done. You know, the IG would show up. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. It was like we read about a spouse that beats the other spouse and they always apologize and all is forgiven. It was the same. It was the same thing. I'm going to abuse you until you file a complaint and then I'm going to apologize and give you some heartfelt, you know, mea culpa. And then once everything clears up, I'm going to do it again. And I'm just going to keep doing it again. And watching this, I was thankful that we were peers because then I could just, if he did that to me, I could just you know, say what I wanted to say. I didn't have didn't have to worry about anything. It was absolutely amazing that you do this, and the boss you would think would know, but the boss was completely oblivious to it all. Never saw any of it, and and was always on his best behavior around the boss, and just made sure that those people he limited access to the boss so much that the the, the boss never saw any of it. It was a masterful feat of manipulation. And you, and you think about that, and that's really how these people get away with it. I mean, they control their environment so well that the people who can do something aren't aware that they need to do something, if that makes sense. And by the time they're aware that something might be wrong, it's that time has passed or they've moved on. And I watched that one for a couple of years. It, it, to this day, it's something that I have a phone call with a friend later, and I know he'll bring it up <laughs> because he always does. He'll bring it up. He goes, hey, what do you think about that guy? And I'm like, I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to get me riled up. But we'll have these conversations, and it's, you know, I've never seen anybody who could be that abusive outside of a domestic situation and just routinely abusive and lying and, you know, every little thing that, that you would chalk up all wrapped up into one person who got terrific results from people and watching that unfold was just, you know, it was a, it was a, I should write a case study about it, but then I would, if I had to write the guy's name down and Yikes. I guess I could <laughs> fake it. That was one person on one part of the spectrum and, and you see different folks. I mean, I spent years thinking that I had worked for someone who was a toxic leader because he couldn't make decisions. And it took me years to really take that apart to deconstruct what was going on. And what it was is you had someone there who in his own right, toxic in his own way, but very risk averse. So the risk aversion drove his inability to make decisions and the risk aversion tied back to, I knew him as a company commander and he was not fired from company command, but yanked out of company command after 11 months and sent packing. And the one lesson that he took from that was don't ever do anything that puts you up on the radar. So he found a way to continue his career and do really well in jobs that kept him off the radar and was able to continue to succeed until one day somebody put him back in a major leadership position. And you had a guy who survived by not making decisions, not taking risks, 
and was put in a situation where he had to lead troops in combat, asked absolutely the wrong guy for the job. And as a result, it was, he didn't make decisions ever, ever. I mean, we're talking, uh, and that was, uh, I think I wrote about that with uh, last week. I wrote an article about it, not about that specifically, but about learning to ask the right questions. He couldn't do that. He just held everything close. He wouldn't make decisions. The fewer decisions I make, the fewer risks I take, and the more likely it is that my career will survive. But what about all the people that, are, that work for you that are counting on you to make decisions? Well, screw them. I'll be okay. I'll get by. It's about me, not them. So there's so many, I guess my point here is that there's so many different permutations to what we would call toxic leadership or dark side leadership. You can just go on for days. And it's fun to compare notes because you in your life have seen certain things. And I've seen certain things. But when we compare notes, it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to see how many of the same things and same traits and behaviors that we see in people. And I think that contributes to that greater body of knowledge that we need to be able to study and understand just what we're dealing with. Not making excuses, but I think it's a good reminder when you do encounter a toxic leader or when you're having discussions about the dark side of leadership. Uh, it's a good reminder that, you know, humans have a lot of baggage and there is a reason why they are acting the way they, they're acting in a professional environment. Oh, absolutely. I, I wrote a piece this week. It was a, a war book for the Modern War Institute, but it was called The Art of the Decision. And something that I have studied in great depth, it's parallel to the study of, of toxic leadership, but it's, it's understanding the behavioralism, uh, the science behind why people make the decisions that they do, why people do the things they do. To me, that's absolutely fascinating, and it gets to the complexity of human nature. Until you can unpack somebody's baggage, it's really hard to understand why they make the decisions that they do. Why do they do the things that they do? What turns somebody into a toxic leader? Is it a lack of trust? Are you actually just a serial killer waiting to come out? What goes on inside the mind that turns you into that kind of an individual that feels like you have to abuse other people? You know, were you the kid that got rocks thrown at you every day when you were in grade school? What is it? What makes somebody be such a horrible human being to others? That's a question you can ask all day long. What makes, you know, what, what makes, I mean, I talked about what made somebody risk averse and, and unable, to make a unable to make a decision. But, you know, it's in the same sense, you know, you know people who go into leadership positions but don't want to lead. And they're absolutely uncomfortable. So why are you uncomfortable leading so can we unpack that in a way that we can help you be a better leader? There's just so much to that. And there are people, I think, that we can help, even as they're, like I said earlier, I don't think you're going to get the more toxic people to go sit down with a therapist and unpack everything that's gone on in their lives. That There's just too much baggage for one sit down. But I think people to a lesser degree on different areas of the spectrum, you can work with them, you can help them. If you have the patience, I go back to the patience thing. There's a lot you can do for people in that respect. Oh, to be a sociologist. Very, <laughs> very fascinating. Yeah, uh, I slept through that class, I'm, I'm, unfortunately. Oh, no. I, my minor was uh, <laughs> anthropology, so I'm pretty obsessed with sociology and anthropology and anything human. Because I am the queen of positivity and we've discussed what not to do, uh, if we could end on more of a positive note, what in your eyes makes a great leader and what can people in the national security workforce do to get there? So I'd go back to the, the pillars. Trust is always a big thing. And, and, the, and the lesson that I was always taught 
from the first day I was a platoon leader was you do nothing else, take good care of your people and let them take care of you. But if you take good care of your people, then what that kind of does is that involves things like watching out for their best interests, being there to be when they need you, being decisive when they need to be, need you to be decisive, doing the kinds of things that take care of them entails so many other aspects of leadership that if you can get that one part right, a lot of the other parts fall in place. Right, thank you for that. To learn more about <laughs> understanding the dark side of leadership, ways to set the example for your team, signs of toxic leadership, and much, much more from Mr. Leonard's writing, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. But before we sign off, this is something that I ask every ClearCast guest and any guests on any type of social media live event that we do. What was your favorite place that you were stationed at in the military and why? Oh, that's an easy, that's an easy one. So my favorite place, my, um, we, we spent five years in Europe and four of those were in Belgium and a year in the Netherlands. And I think, uh, the second two years, my second company command, we lived in a little town called Zutendal. Actually, we didn't live in Zutendal. I worked in Zutendal. That was absolutely without a doubt, the best two years we ever had in the army you're living in a wonderful country with terrific people and terrific food. Our daughter was born there. It was just a really fun time. There's just no two ways about it. And I'm still surprisingly been 23 years since I changed command. And I am still in almost daily contact with the people that work for me there. That sounds lovely. <laughs> I've never been, but it really does oh, sound lovely. Oh, it's amazing. It is. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.